children go to classes. We do have a nursery and toddler that direction, grades, our preschool and up that direction, third grade. And they're heading off. As they're heading off, I just want to remind you last week's um, very timely, I think, for many of us. Um, you know, a lot of times as a pastor, I'm always trying to feed the flock and share what God's laid upon my heart to share with you. And I look for opportunities where I get to be fed as well. And last week, I got fed, and it was good. And if you missed last week's message, it's on the podcast. If you're like, I don't do well with podcasts, I don't know how to go online, we, we made a couple copies and we can make more. Uh, but if you're sitting there saying, God, why is this happening? I don't understand. How can I trust you? If you're dealing with any of that, which is probably going to be 99.9% of us, okay, you need to listen. We have these available for you to listen to. I want to encourage you with that. And this week, as you go through the week and we prepare for Easter, Resurrection Sunday, I encourage you, look on Facebook, look for a daily email. You're going to think, this guy won't stop emailing me, okay? Because I'm going to be sending out just a little bit, something to read this week. Hey, today, Monday, focus on this. Read this scripture in preparation for next Sunday. The next Sunday at 9.15, we're going to start a early worship service. From 9.15 to 9.45, we're going to be singing, be some scripture reading, maybe a few other things, but it's just pre-worship, preparing our hearts. We'll stop at 9.45, get a little 15-minute intermission, and some people will be pulling in at 10, and we'll have a worship Easter service, resurrection celebration from 10 to 11. And then you're on your way to the rest of the day. But I want to make sure you know about what's going to take place at 9.15. want you to be there and be a part of that. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. A few weeks ago, I started a, a brief sermon series. I sort of wanted to prepare our hearts for Easter. Many times we'll come around Easter and you'll hear me talk about Palm Sunday. You'll hear me talk about what happened to Jesus Christ in his trial and his arrest and his crucifixion and the flogging and, and just the torture that he went through. We do that in preparation for Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, when we celebrate Christ risen from the dead. But this year I thought, you know what, we're going to sort of divert from that. That's why this week you'll get those emails. What happened with Jesus and his disciples as they walked to Jerusalem. So a couple weeks ago we talked about as they were walking and the final words that Jesus said to his disciples. How did Jesus look at the city as he's going into it? And today it's going to be what was the final sermon, the final message that Jesus preached before he spent that week then with his disciples being prepared for the arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection. What's the last message? I mean if you came here today and this is your last Sunday service. Because you know this week, you've got bad news and you're not going to be around. Or you're getting shipped off to some third world country that doesn't have a church service. You're not going to hear anybody preaching or anything. What would be the last message you need to hear? Because this is what Jesus did. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, I want you to just sort of get creative with me, okay? I want you to think about all the choices you make on a daily basis, okay? Consider all the choices that you make 
mean, every hour, every few minutes, you're making a choice, right? You're making a choice right now. Do I really want to think about what choices I make? Don't really want to listen to what Rex said. You just made a choice, right? You're making choices all the time. You make choices uh, as far as where am I going to eat, what TV show am I going to watch. Matter of fact, does it really matter what burger you eat? Well, for some of you, yes. Because some of you say, I don't want to, I'm very conscious of my weight, so I'm going to be very careful with what I eat. So right now I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to mention where you purchased this hamburger, but if you're watching your weight, you do not want to eat a bacon cheese pretzel burger from this location. I'm going to tell you why. 1,759 calories, that's why, okay? 105 grams of fat, 3,257 milligrams of sodium. You think that puppy's loaded? Yes. It's your choice. Boy, doesn't it sound good though? <laughs> how many things that sound good? Yeah, see, some of you, you're right there with me. Then you're like, wait, how many calories and sodium? And uh, Arteries, yeah, I can't do that, okay. Doesn't matter what kind of pet you have, fish, cat, dog, does the, the choice of pet you have, does that matter? I would say no, but because I don't like cats, I would say yes. Um, but some of you like cats, I'm sorry, okay? Rhonda, put them on the prayer list, okay? Um, but it's questionable as to which one's a good choice, bad choice. So let me tell you right now, bad choice for pets. Exotic pets, okay? Alligators, tarantulas. Here's one, iguanas or lizards. And I'll tell you why. Because 90% of them have salmonella. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control, said they estimate 93,000 people every year are sickened because of their pet lizards and iguanas. Most reptiles have salmonella and you don't know it. Now you do, okay? So we're going home saying, we're going back to the goldfish, right? Okay. Certain choices that you can decide upon. You can sit to say, does it matter what burger, what pet? Some of those really don't matter, but let me get you focused on one choice that really does matter, okay? See, you make those choices, it's not going to mess you up, you know, but when it comes to choosing your eternal destination, you better get this choice right. You better not miss it. The most valuable decision, the most valuable choice you will ever make is your eternal choice, heaven or hell. Now, a lot of little kids in here, and they're going to hear me say that a lot, this message, okay? When I was growing up in the church that I grew up in, we didn't say those words. We said heaven and H-E double toothpick, okay? I'm, that's what we did. And I'm sitting there going, but it's, it's a place. It's a location. It is real. Jesus preached on it. And when the, Jesus walked with the disciples and others to Jerusalem, he carefully selected his words with his disciples. And then when he's in the temple and he has his last sermon, he carefully selected his last message to everyone through his sermon. Now, we know the rest of the week he had many messages that he taught us. But this is one of those sermons, the last one, in which he preached. And you have to sit here and say, well, what was it? Because carefully select your last message, Jesus. What is it going to be? Giving? Loving one another. Oh, maybe it's about serving or family and relationships because that's really important to Jesus. Maybe it's about church attendance. That's the last thing Jesus said. Thou shalt be in church every Sunday, right? He didn't preach that, okay? What was his last message? He preached on being ready for heaven and staying out of hell. That was his last message. Matthew chapter 25, you can look there with me. 
I'm going to brief through the first 30 verses, okay? Here's, here's the scoop. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. That's the story of the ten bridesmaids. Five were ready. Five were wise. Five were not ready. Five were foolish. The wise ones were ready when the groom came. The foolish ones were out looking for more oil. And they missed the groom. Matthew 25, 14 to 30, there's a story with three servants and bags of gold. Two put the money to work, made money for the master. The third one hid his in a hole. First two were ready and rewarded when the master returned. The third one was punished because he was unprepared, not ready. And then we come to Matthew 25, 31 to 46, the message of final judgment. Be ready. Always be ready. Let me hear you say, be ready. Let's try it again. Let me hear you say it again. Be ready. That's the message. Be ready. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 24, 42, the previous chapter, he said this, So you too must keep watch, for you don't know when the Lord is coming. Be ready. Be alert. The theme of Jesus' last sermon is this. He's returning. No doubt about it. Are you ready? One twentieth of the New Testament talks about it. Over 300 references go to his second coming. 23 of the 27 New Testament books speak about it. Do you think it's important? Yes. This is his last message. Acts chapter 1, verse 11 says this. Men of Galilee, the angel said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. Someday he will return for you. Think about this. When Jesus returns, every person who is living and has lived will gather together. Everyone. Gather together. Rich, poor, famous, unknown. Kings, queens, prisoners, heroes, bums, brilliant, sane, crazy, athletic, clumsy, artistic, simple. All will be present when Christ returns. And when Jesus comes and his angels come along with him, we're going to gather in his presence. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and 32. Let's see what that says. Let's look together. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and 32. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations, all of us, will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. All gathered in his presence. That's us. Neighbors, strangers, classmates, teammates, co-workers, arch rivals. We're all together in his presence. Where do you think our eyes will be? On the Son of Man, right? We won't be looking around saying, oh, what did she wear today? Oh, why is he looking like that? I didn't know he got that kind of haircut. Oh, what did they drive today when they came in? Did you see what they drove? Oh, did you see what they put in the offering? Did you see they never even went over to the offering? Eyes aren't going to be looking around at each other and what we're doing. Our eyes are going to be glued on the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, Messiah, Savior. And then I have a feeling after our eyes are done being stuck on Him, we're probably going to, in humbleness and shame, probably, probably drop Him and drop to our knees. Think about it. Jesus will return. 
And when he returns, he said something incredible is going to happen. Did you hear it in verse 32? Something incredible is going to happen in verse 32, he says. And it's the word separation. Let me hear you say separation. For some of us, that's a good word. For some of us, it's a bad word. Let me explain. We're, we're always separating people all the time. Boys over here, girls over here. First and third graders, I need you over here. Fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, I need you guys over here. We're always separating people, aren't we? Okay. Offense over there, defense, I need you right here. Home team fans, you sit in a section that says home team fans. Visitors, you sit in a section that says visitors. Don't want you sitting together. Let's separate you out, right? We're always separating people. Those of you with a ticket, get in this line. If you don't have a ticket, you need to get in that line. Always separating people. Then consider those unintentional separations. Driving down the road, you're following somebody, heavy traffic, all of a sudden you lose them. You got separated from the guy that was in front. Where do we go? I don't know. Parents, any of you ever been in a mall or a big store with your kids and you're looking down, oh, wait, wait I've got three boys. I got one, two. Panic attack, lose a child, okay? None of you are going to admit it, right? Yeah, I'm not that kind of a parent. Okay, some of you that have had that happen before, you know what it feels like when you're separated from your kids? You're like, where did they go? Panic attack, right? Some of you have great relationships, and then without warning, things go bad, husband and wife, friends, separate. See, the word separation is not always good. Sometimes we say separate, and bad connotations come to our mind. You've seen it before. It's happened, right? And when the word separate is used here, it's used in a way that should wake us up. Let's read it again. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, they'll sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations gather in his presence, all eyes glued on him. Listen to this. And he, Jesus, will separate the people as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Sheep, goats separated out. Now, it's a pretty incredible use of the word that Jesus uses here, but one group of people is basically what he's doing is. One group of people, heaven. The other group, hell. Jesus is separating them out. The separation is absolute. It's final. There's no middle ground. There's no, oh, well, now that I see you, Jesus, I'd like to decide. Too late. It's too late. Hell's total separation from God and from those who will be with Jesus Christ. Sit around a group of people, and I'll tell you what, you, you leave here today, you in your cars, you go out to eat, you go home, go to somebody's house, you hang out this afternoon, you might catch a movie, you might go watch a ball game, go for a walk, whatever. But as you're hanging out with people, what are you going to talk about? Weather, sports, what happened to me, this was really unfair, I couldn't believe this took place. You know, the latest gossip, what's coming up this week? Hey, I can't wait for, you know, next week when we do this and that. How many conversations are going to be like this? Hey, you want to talk about heaven and hell? Hey, let's talk about that. When's the last time you sat around with a group of people and that was the topic of conversation? Probably not that often. Probably not that often. We like heaven, we like the thoughts of heaven, but discuss hell? No way. I don't want to talk about that. It's scary, right? After all, Here's, here's, here's a hot topic. Why would a loving God send people to hell? You ever hear that question before? Did you ever ask that question before? That's a hot topic. We should talk about that, right? Let me just briefly talk about that. You have to understand, see, this is a core teaching of Jesus. 
Heaven and hell are core teaching of Jesus. Jesus, more than any other person in the Bible, speaks clearly about hell. You know, we may not like his words, but guess who spoke them? Jesus. I don't know about you, but if Jesus said it, the very Son of God, I believe he knows what he's talking about. I don't need a second opinion. You go to the doctor, something goes bad, I'm going to second opinion, right? Try on a shirt, look at a friend, what do you think, you like it? Mm. Any second opinion? Well, you like it? Good, okay. Right? Heaven and hell, what do you have to say, Jesus? There's no second opinion. These are Jesus' words, his teachings. He knows what he's talking about. This, this isn't a, I don't like what Pastor Rex said today. I don't like where our church stands on this. That happens a lot, okay? Man, what did he say? What did the church, let me tell you something right now. These are the words of Jesus, what we're talking about right now, okay? You can disagree with me all you want, but I'm just repeating what Jesus said. So if you disagree with me, guess who you're disagreeing with? The words of Jesus. There is a loving God. Amen? Look at the person next to you and say, we have a God that loves us. Tell them. Tell them. That's good news. Oh, isn't that good news? That was better than a bacon pretzel cheeseburger right there. I'm telling you. And we have a loving God. He gives us the privilege of what? A free choice. Free choice. It's our choice. God says, I love you so much. Heaven or hell, that's your choice. That's love. He doesn't force us into, he doesn't twist our arm. You get to decide. You get to decide now. You don't decide when you die. That's too late. Okay? No one makes that decision for you. Not a family member, not a good friend. No one makes that decision or determination, but you. The most important choice you could ever make is this, heaven or hell. There's a God who loves you and says, I want you to choose heaven. Listen to this verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 to 10. Might want to write this down, look it up somewhere. Because you're going to face a lot of people that struggle with this question about a loving God sending people to hell. Pull out this verse and say, hey, let me share something with you. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 to 10, this is written by a guy who used to hate Christians. Matter of fact, he killed Christians. And then he met Jesus. And he started loving Christians. And these are his words. For God chose to save us. Did you hear that? God chooses to save us. He has, God has a choice too. I could love these people or I could hate these people. What does this say? For God chose to what? Save us. How is God going to save us? Read on. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. This week is an incredible week. Why? Because we reflect back on what Jesus did for us. God's love is revealed in the actions of Christ on the cross and the victory and the resurrection. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Did you hear that? God's just mad at me. Wait, wait, wait. God's mad at you? Let me see this again. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not, let me hear you say not. Not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we're dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. That's good news. God loves you. We now have the choice to love God back or not love God back. 
That's our choice. God invites us to love Him. But know this. He loves us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only one and Son, right? Some of you said us. I'll take both answers because they're both correct. God loves us. For God so loved the world. We read that in the Bible. But to love Him, that's our choice. You can love God or not. You, know, you can know the benefits, promises, learn about the joys, the consequences, but in the end, guess what? The choice is up to us to love him back. The choice is up to us to decide to have or hell. That's our choice. God created heaven for us. Did you know that? He created heaven for you. Do you know what he created hell for? The devil and his demons. It's a place of punishment for them. Verse 41 is very clear on that. We'll read that in a second. But we can be certain that those who go to hell are going to rub shoulders in eternity with the most evil of people and creatures in darkness and pain. Their one goal in life is to defy God and bring others to suffering forever as well. An eternal place of suffering and darkness, key word being eternal. For someone to go to hell, they have to go against God. That's man's choice, not God's. It's a place for those who love sin more than a Savior, where they love the world more than they love God, where they love self more than God. Think about it. For those of you who say, well, again, the whole loving God having a hell, listen, if there's no hell, then God must be okay with rebelliousness and unrepentant hearts. If there's no hell, then God doesn't care about the massacred and the raped and the wrecked families. But because God is a just God, a loving God, he says there is a right and there is a wrong. And because he hates what is wrong and the devil and his demons, there is a hell. So eternity has to be taken serious. You know, not to, boom, put a, you know, a, that deer in the headlight, look upon you all, but eternity is serious. The choice is yours. We have to get this one right. And I don't think Jesus says this to frighten us. I really don't. You think about this. I, I don't think Jesus is trying to scare us into heaven. I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. I'm just telling you the truth. If you're driving down, to, uh, let's say, let's go down to North Carolina, South Carolina, you're driving through the Smoky Mountains, maybe you go out west where the mountains are even bigger and the edges are steeper, okay? They've got little signs there, you know, sharp corner, no shoulder, rocks falling. Do you ever look at those signs? If they really wanted to scare you, they'd make those signs a lot more graphic. They'd put a car flipping off the edge. They'd put a guy laying on the ground with rocks pounding on him and red, and it, it, they could make a graphic, couldn't they? They don't. Very simply, listen, slow down around the curves. There's not much of an edge there. It's a long drop. And by the way, just be aware that rocks might fall along this side of the edge of the road as well. Just warning you. Jesus is coming out of here and saying, I'm warning you. I'm telling you. I'm not going to get graphic about it. I'm not going to scare you. But I'm telling you, here's the warning. It's your choice. Choose your eternal home. You know, we can make a lot of wrong choices in life and survive. You can go out today and buy the wrong ice cream. You'll be okay, right? You can buy the wrong house, move in the wrong neighborhood, pick the wrong car, 
You're going to survive. It's going to be okay. But you mess this choice up, heaven and hell, it's not okay. In the Sermon on the Mount, that was Jesus' first sermon, by the way, the Sermon on the Mount, you know what he talked about? Wide gate, narrow gate. Build your life on the rock or sand, heaven or hell. His first sermon was about, are you ready? A lot of incredible sermons in between, and then we get here at the end. And what does Jesus talk about again? Are you ready? Jesus knows my last message. I want you all to hear this, because when I head into Jerusalem, things are going to get crazy. I'll be mistreated. I'm going to toss some tables. I'm going to go into the temple and tell them that they need to be worshiping God. I'm going to have my, my, my beard pulled. I'm going to have my back whipped. There's going to be all kinds of crazy things that are going to go on that week, but right now, you need to hear this. Are you ready? For those of you who have made your eternal choice, heaven, for those of you in this room that say, I've confessed with my mouth, I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is my Savior. If that's you this morning and you say, yes, I've chosen heaven because I've chosen to place my faith in Jesus Christ, yes, amen. That's going to be awesome because not only do we get to worship this morning together, someday we will worship together in heaven. It will be incredible. For those of you who have never made that choice, today's the day to make that choice. Today's the day to surrender. Today's the day to pray wherever you're at, wherever you're sitting, and say, you know what? I don't know. You have a God that loves you. He sent his one and only son to die for you, to take your place. Because I can't work enough, do enough good things to earn my way to heaven. Jesus Christ did that for me. He paid that price. So I surrender my selfishness, my pride, and ask him to be the Lord of my life. It's a prayer you can pray. You don't have to be fancy words. It's a simple surrender. Maybe uh, you, know, you think about this. You confess. For those of you who confess your mouth, those of you maybe right now, I'm going to pray a prayer. That's awesome. Please do. Don't hesitate. But let me ask you this. So what is the evidence now of our salvation? How do you know you're saved? You know, we watch on TV every now and then. We'll see certain athletes, and my boy says, is that guy a Christian? He wears a, he's got a cross necklace. Or he wrote, you know, play for God on his cleats. So is he a Christian? It's like, you can advertise all you want, but really the evidence is seen in how you live, right? Crazy thing is, in this sermon that Jesus is preaching, he continues on with make the right choice, and check out the evidence. That's the second part of this message. Read with me, will you please? Look at uh, chapter 25, verse 34. And before we read this, actually, I want to make something clear here. We know that we're saved by faith alone. Okay, I want to make sure that's pretty uh, crystal clear here. Apart from works, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 makes that very clear. The things we do do not save us, but what we do is evidence of our Christian love and trust in Jesus Christ. I want to make sure that's really clear. The proofs of conversion are, again, are not great things, but they're little things that you do for Jesus Christ. And what are those things? Let's read verse 34. The king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. 
then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in, in, um, in prison and visit you? And the king will tell them, I assure you, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, listen to this, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. That's what I referred to earlier. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't give me something to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me in your home. I was naked, and you gave me no clothing. I was sick and in prison. You didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison? and not help you? And he will answer, I assure you, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Wow. You can go on there and underline a couple of phrases. One of those was, when you did it to the least of one of these, my brothers and sisters. There's a lot of argument about, who's that referring to? Who's that referring to? But across the board, most scholars will say, he's talking about Christians. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ. Jesus was talking to the Christian family. Hey, you don't want to show evidence of love? It's when you treat each other, not the unsaved, but the saved with love. Oh yes, we're supposed to love everyone, those who don't know Christ. But those who do know Christ, it starts here with our evidence of love for one another. Wow realize that. I always thought it meant like just go out and do nice things for nice other people. It starts in the church is where it starts. It starts here in the family. Did Jesus say, hey, when I was sick, you healed me. Hey, when I was in prison, you got me out. You freed me. Didn't say that. Simple good things. When we do good things to others, we're doing good things to God. And sometimes we don't help others because maybe our motives are wrong or we don't know how to help or we want something in return or I'm just going to help you because I know I'll get something out of this. Wrong reasons, right? Jesus says your action is a result of your heart. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, we should be loving the least of those, my brothers and sisters. I don't know if you realize this, but this morning, you know, we talk about showing hospitality. Did anybody walk in this church this morning that you didn't know? Did you go say hi to them when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters? You did it to me. As a believer in Christ, when you treat me with love, hospitality, help, hunger, thirst, whatever it is, guess what? You're ministering to Jesus Christ because Christ is in us, okay? You don't get all crazy mixed up in this, but just understand this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we should be showing hospitality and love to one another, without a doubt. It's a challenge for us, isn't it? Because you walk in here, it's like, I don't know them, so uh, maybe I won't say hi. Go for it. Go for it. Because when you do it to one of these, these my brothers and sisters, you're doing it to him. Let that be inspiration for you to get to know people in this church and other people from other churches. And then, yes, those who don't know who Jesus Christ, love them too. Because that's what God commands us to do. There's a story. S.I. Kosher wrote this story about a man who showed uh, evidence of his love. I asked the worship team to come up at this time. 
this is an incredible story. I've read it in different books. I checked out, researched it, and uh, some say it's a true story. Some say, no, it's a fictitious story. I'm going to say this. It's a cool story, okay? Listen to the story. Uh, it's about a man by the name of John Blanchard. John Blanchard was at this train station, Grand Central Station in New York, and he sort of stood up off the bench straight in his army uniform, <clears throat> studied the crowd of people making their way through Grand Central Station, and he looked for this girl that he knew, whose heart he knew. He'd never seen her face, though. He knew of her, but never saw her face. He's looking for this girl with a rose that would be on her lapel. See, his interest in her began about 13 months earlier in the Florida library. He'd gone to this library, took a book off the shelf, found himself reading the content of the book, but it wasn't the words of the book that drew him in. See, somebody who read the book before him wrote in the margin. And what they wrote took hold of him and took his heart. And he's like, wow, who is this person that wrote these things? And he flipped to the front of the book and pulled out the card and read the name, Miss Hollis Maynell. With time and effort, he located her and her address, and she lived in New York City. So he wrote a letter introducing himself and started to correspond with her. Well, the next day, he was shipped overseas to serve in World War II. And while serving overseas, he kept the correspondence going with Hollis. They kept back and forth for over a year. They grew to know each other very well. Every letter was a seed falling on a very fertile heart. And uh, a romance started to bud. Blanchard then requested a photograph. Miss Hollis, will you please send me a picture? And he said, no. If you really care, it doesn't matter what I look like. So when the day finally came for him to return from Europe, they scheduled their first meeting, 7 p.m., Grand Central Station, New York City. She said, you'll recognize me by the red rose I'll be wearing on my lapel. So at 7 p.m., there he stood in the station, looking for a girl whose heart he loved, but whose face he's never seen. And I'll read what Mr. Blanchard said from here out. A young woman was coming toward me, her figure long and slim. Her blonde hair lay back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were blue as flowers. Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness. In her pale green suit, she was like a springtime come alive. This guy's a good writer. I started toward her, entirely forgetting to notice what she was wearing, uh, not wearing a rose. As I moved, a small provocative smile curved on her lips. Going my way, sailor, she murmured. Almost uncontrollably, I made one step closer, then I saw... Miss Hollis Maynell. She was standing almost directly behind this girl. A woman well past 40. She had grain hair tucked under her worn hat. She was more than plump, and her thick ankled feet thrust into low-heeled shoes. The girl in the green suit was walking away quickly. I felt as though I was sort of split in two. So keen was my desire to follow her, and yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had truly companioned me and upheld my own. There she stood, her pale pump plump face was gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm, kindly twinkle. I didn't hesitate. My fingers gripped the small, worn, blue leather copy of the book that I had to carry so she could identify me. This would not be love, but it would be something precious, something perhaps even better than love, a friendship for which I'd been in most ever grateful. I squared my shoulders and saluted and held out the book to the woman, and though which I spoke, I sort of chucked uh, choked with the bitterness of disappointment. <clears throat> I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard. You must be Miss Mayno. 
I'm so glad you could meet me. May I take you out for supper? The woman's face broadened with a smile. She said, I don't know what this is about, son. But the young lady in the green suit who just went by begged me to wear those rose on my coat. And she said, if you were to ask me to dinner, I would tell you she's waiting for you at the big restaurant across the street. She said it was some kind of test. Not difficult to understand and admire Miss Mano's wisdom. So the true nature of the heart is in what we choose to love. As I Kisher wrote that. I was thinking about that story and looking again for the evidence of Christianity, the evidence of love is when we love the least of these. Sometimes we look out there and say, well, what looks good? How about when we love the least of these? I believe we find incredible things in store for us. Two questions. Are you ready? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Second question. Are you loving the least of these? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we must love one another, starting in the church and then blossoming out. It's God's call for us. It's the last message of Jesus Christ. So my question is, are you ready? Set? Let's go. Let's go love. Let's go love. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for an incredible God that you are. I want to thank you, Lord, that you love us first. And you invite us then to spend eternity with you. That's our choice. You made the first choice in loving us, no matter how messed up we are, which we are. None of us are perfect here. None of us have it right. We never will. It's not on this side of the planet. You love us. You want to help us through tough times. But we've got to make that choice to love you back. We've got to make that choice for eternity. So, Lord, we choose you. Lord, because we choose you, we must love the least of these. Starting with our church family right here. Lord, I pray if somebody's visiting here today for the first time, I, Lord, I hope and pray someone this morning came up and said, Good morning. Glad you're here. Lord, for those of us that have been here every week, every month, for over a year, two years, when this church first began, Lord, stir in our hearts right now. Remind us, we are to love the least of these. We are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then as we leave this place, we go and love the rest of the world. Show them your love. Thank you, God, for working through us. What an incredible message you gave your disciples and all these people in Jerusalem and the people that came into Jerusalem. What an incredible message you gave them. Well, Lord, the rest of the week as we prepare for what happened with your death, your sacrifice for us, and your resurrection victory for us. We look forward to that, Lord, with humble hearts. Humble hearts. We love you, Lord. Now we sing to you the mighty God you are, we sing to you. Thank you for loving us. In thy name we pray. Amen.